Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I like how they're preparing for the game this Saturday. Starting with today, I like how they prepared in camp. Um, I like how they're leading the team to get us ready. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. This is Nebraska. This is why you come here to play. So, I mean, we're ready for the stage. We're ready to just hit somebody else. This is why you're at Nebraska, man. The, the light show and cameras are always here. Uh, they have to be ready for that. We just can't let that, you know, uh, overwhelm anybody because... It is the, the first week of college football just to kick everything off and everybody needs to stay locked in. Don't jump into the hype, man. Just, like I said, stay locked in, be ready for this game. We, we really have to get this one. I want to so bad, <laughs> like, I want to so bad. You can just feel it on the team. The team's ready to get after it. And I think uh, it's a long time coming. I, I'm, I think the whole team's ready to really get their focus on Saturday, so. I mean, it's, it's sweet. I love that we have a week zero game. I know the guys are pumped and even more, it's, a Big Ten West opponent, so everything's on the line week one. Couldn't be more excited about it. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wash. Robin, let's do it, man. We made it. Let's do it. We got here. As you heard uh, from the press conference this week, um, I asked all the guys that question, you know, what does this stage mean to you getting the chance to, to be first? Throw the first punch of the college football season, the first Power 5 on Power 5 game. I mean, let's be real. Nebraska, Illinois, week eight. Doesn't do a lot for anybody, but week zero, it's all anyone's going to be watching. If Nebraska can come out and play well, they're going to get a lot of publicity out of this game. If they come out and lay an egg, obviously it's not going to be good. So um, the stakes, as we know, are really high um, going out to Champaign this week. You know, I, I was expecting a bigger crowd out there, but ticket sales are pretty lagging right now. So I'll be curious what the crowd's going to be. I think we'll see a lot of Nebraska fans, though, venture down. Every time we've been there, there's always been a healthy 10,000 or so that make their way down to Champaign. Yeah, and obviously there's varying circumstances that I'm sure playing into that uh, ticket sale number, but Nebraska fans are going to travel, especially when you're thinking about this is a relatively drivable game. Um, you know, it's what, about eight hours if you drive from, from Lincoln? Seven, seven, eight. Yeah, it depends, depends on how fast you go. But uh, so I mean, it's it's doable, and this is the first opportunity to see their team play in person since December 2019. Or, or sorry, November 2019. So it's been a long time coming, and despite all the you know other stuff going on, there's going to be a good chunk of Nebraska fans that are going to be willing to to go ahead and make that trip and and finally get to watch some Nebraska football in person. And we saw a really locked in version of Scott Frost on Monday, right out of the gates. And, you know, it wasn't like he – I mean, he wasn't rude to people. He just was very short yeah. and to the point. I mean, he, he wasn't going to get up there and be Mike Riley reading off the injury report. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll start with injuries. You know, and here's the scout team depth chart too. I mean, like, I mean, it, there was no – by the way, no depth chart. Um, and injuries, we know we don't get that information from uh, Coach Frost. But just to the point, you know, he, he didn't want to get up there and, and – Make a lot of headlines. Just very, very basic answers from Scott Frost. I think, what, 20 questions in about five minutes? Yeah, according to the Associated Press, it was 21 questions in five minutes and three seconds. So 
do with that what you will. Uh, you know, I guess it's a little strange that that was the kind of tone he wanted to set going into the first game week, especially when you know everybody else that went up there was pretty jovial. You know, the and the coordinators this week excited. too. I mean, yeah, I mean we, it, Matt Lubick and Eric Chenander went like 15 minutes each. Yeah, I mean Tony Tuioti went for almost like 14 minutes today. So you know, I mean it. I guess that's what made it a little different is that it's not like this team unified thing, like we're all business mentality. And I'm sure that the recent events played into that. It was clearly by design. Like he didn't just wake up in a bad mood. I'm sure he just went up there and said, you know what? Uh, I'm, you know, darned if I do, darned if I don't. And so I'm just not. I'm going to give you the most basic answers possible, get in and out of there and uh, stay out of the headlines and just try to keep the focus on my team in the game. Well, and that was the first time we've actually – interviewed Frost since the Trev Alberts press conference, which mm-hmm. it wasn't planned. And I'm sure just his new boss said, you're, I'm going to come up with you. We're doing this together. And you know, maybe uh, he's just, yeah, being really careful with what he says. And, you know, maybe Trev's like, look, we're, you know, we're not going to talk about some of this other mm-hmm. stuff anymore. It's investigations going on, whatever's going on. And we've talked about this last week. There's, you know, as far as the analyst thing goes, that, that's a non-deal. Like that, that if something is there, that's a small thing. So we'll, we'll kind of see where this all goes. Uh, but the bottom line is, this game is big. I mean, I think that's where his focus is. I mean, it, this game for Nebraska, it means everything to year four. This to me is as big as any game Frost has had because they've got a chance then to be three and zero and win three in a row for the first time since Frost has been in Nebraska. There are a laundry list of reasons why this is the biggest game of Scott Frost's career at Nebraska. And I know some people are saying that's hyperbole and media sensationalism, but just look at the facts. I mean, obviously the last three years have been well short of anyone's expectations, particularly Scott Frost and and his bosses. And so this is the year where there needs to be tangible evidence that this program is going in the right direction. And to be able to go on the road in a week zero primetime Fox Big Noon Saturday uh, showcase game and beat a divisional opponent uh, to start the season 1-0, and for which you haven't done that very often over the last however many years, uh, and then being able to string together several wins, which hasn't happened hardly at all over the last three years. Uh, I mean, just the opportunity to actually have positive vibes and positive momentum in your program, uh, it would be so valuable right now. They just have not had the luxury of being able to feel good for two consecutive weeks. And so getting this win not, only, three. not only sets the tone for uh, you know the, the, the start of the non-conference schedule, but I mean for the entire season. Because if you can go 3-0 and into Oklahoma and be you know respectable, even if you don't win that game, but put on a, a strong showing and then find a way to go uh, you know win out uh, for the rest of September, suddenly, you know, you're four and one going in October and you start to reevaluate how you feel about some of those other 50, 50 games, like the Iowa's, the Minnesota's, even the Wisconsin's that maybe a few months ago, you weren't feeling very good about, but if they start the season, the way that they potentially could beginning with Illinois, then that changes your perspective on what the rest of the season could be. And just to have that kind of confidence and swagger within the program is such an invaluable asset that this program hasn't had for far too long you know and we'll talk more about some of these matchups next week but the big 10 is starting out with a lot of conference games this year uh, nebraska illinois but then four other conference matchups in week one ohio states at minnesota and that's a fox game on a thursday night mm-hmm. um, and the gophers bring a lot back and ohio state's going to break in a new quarterback so that that's intriguing 
You got Michigan State and Northwestern. I just think for both those teams, that's a Friday night game, by the way. Michigan State generally always opens on a Friday, but that game's in Evanston. Um, and then the big one for Big Noon is Penn State at Wisconsin out of the gates at 11 a.m. on Fox. Um, and then Indiana at Iowa as a BTN game at 2.30. I mean, there, there are just some outstanding games on this opening weekend of college football, West Virginia, Maryland, Oregon State, Purdue. That's next weekend. So we'll really get a good feel, Robin, for this mm-hmm. league after just Labor Day weekend. Absolutely. And I, I like it. I mean, I think that starting off against a conference opponent, I mean, that just kind of accelerates the – um, you know, intensity and just the the focus for everybody, you know, team and, and fans and, and everybody else alike to where, I mean, you're getting going right off the bat. You're not easing into it with some directional, you know, podunk state college. You're you're going right off the bat against a Big Ten divisional opponent. And uh, like you said, you also get a really good feel across the league of where all the other programs that you're going to be going up against are currently standing, especially right out of the gate. And it's a ratings move for the league, too. You put those games early you win the ratings war because we know a lot of the SEC teams aren't playing games like that. So you're going to get more eyeballs. Fox and whoever's airing these games, they're going to get a lot of ratings. But uh, we've got a full show here on tap here as Nebraska gets ready to play Illinois on the road. We're going to talk offensive storylines to watch, defensive storylines to watch. Um, and then Abby Barmore will join us with some mailbag questions as well. And I'm going to bring in an Illinois expert Uh, to the show as we'll get some insight on the Alina. That's all next here on this week's Husker Online Show. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, You've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. Cybersecurity declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, you're never uh, 100% satisfied. We can always get better, but uh, I've been excited about the preparation. Um, all the preparation in, in the world doesn't matter if you don't go play well. So I think our guys are, are laser focused right now, and I like where they are. It's incredibly important, and uh, especially because of years past, I think we haven't necessarily shot right out of the gates the way we needed to, and uh, that's an emphasis for us. We have to be ready to go. Uh, first drive of the game, first quarter, and it's it's a Big Ten opponent. So, and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. This segment of the show brought to you by my friends at Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. If you're looking for a place to watch the game, get to Tanner's. You've got TVs every angle. They're going to have it all on and after the game, before the game. Get there early, though. It's going to get busy at Tanner's on Saturday for the noon game as a lot of people are excited to get out there. I was in there this past weekend, and it was buzzing, and I know it's going to be even better for the Husker game here. So Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, 30th and Yankee Hill. They also get all the Husker volleyball games and everything else Husker streamed in there that you can watch. But talking offense now, Robin, and and just laser focus and coming out ready to go and that's such a big part to me for this game. 
Can Adrian Martinez come out there and make adjustments, operate like the magician that we know he can be and we've seen, but obviously it hasn't consistently been there, but can he go against a, a pre-snap read in defense that he's never seen before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially one that's been really difficult to, to scout. So uh, it's going to be a lot of unknowns and adjustments on the fly. And as much improvement as Adrian has made physically, I mean, he's obviously dropped a lot of weight, but he's in some of the best shape of his life and is throwing the ball harder. And so f- I think from the, the physical tool standpoint, uh, he's as good as he's ever been. But uh, the real question is, you know, when it comes down to it and the pressure's on and he needs to make those quick blinking decisions, as Mario Verdusco likes to say, uh, how much improvements has he made in that regard? Because that will ultimately determine how much cleaner this offense is, how much more efficient it is, particularly when he comes to throwing the football. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk offensive storylines and running back's a big one. I mean, they've kind of showed their hand enough, Robin, that we know Gabe Irvin, Marquis Stepp, and Semyon Morrison are going to be the three featured backs, and they kind of throw Ramirez in there. Um, as a talking point, too. But I think those are the three, the main three. Jacques Giant, you know, I think with what Marquis Step has been able to show, mm-hmm. his total package just outweighs what Yant can bring to the table. And I'm so intrigued. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been more intrigued to watch Nebraska's running backs play in a game because I know there's potential there. We just haven't seen any of these guys play. Well, and they need it to be what it potentially could be because that running game, particularly the running back position, has been uh, pretty much non-existent since uh, you know Divine Zigbo left. So getting some stability and consistent production from that group is going to be so critical. And going back to Adrian, how big of a relief off his shoulders would that be if he actually had a traditional running game that could help carry the load where he doesn't have to do everything through the air and on the ground. And so I think they really like that group, particularly that top three. Uh, Sevian Morrison, you got to remember, going back to a year ago, he was one of the most like highly uh, touted guys in that 2020 class, but he never got on the field because of injury and then COVID. because of COVID. And so really, and he was even dinged up a little bit this spring. So this fall was the first time he was ever actually able to stay on the practice field enough to show what he can do. And it's no coincidence that he vaulted up the depth chart to where he really wasn't even being talked about to now there's a chance he could be the number one back there out there on Saturday. Think about this. Marvin Scott going oh, in, into the year had the most yards last year of all the returning backs. And, and, and maybe he's in the picture and they're just not saying it, but it doesn't appear like I haven't heard his name mentioned in weeks. It doesn't appear like he's in the picture. So it just tells you, how quickly this has turned with the backfield and, and where they're at. Marquis step too, like there's a part of me that just they didn't really know what they had and they were not expecting a ton and he's overmet the expectations where I, I asked Ryan Held today or on, on um Tuesday, I said, you know, as he looked like the guy that, you know, maybe you saw on film and the game against USC and Notre Dame where he was running over guys and Mike Tarico was going nuts and he's just like, Yeah. I mean, they don't want to say much, mm-hmm. but I think Marquis Step could be a pleasant surprise in this game. Well, I mean, he was brought here for a reason. That was to push for the starting job from day one. And obviously two days into his, uh, or I guess his second practice as a Husker, they find out about that foot injury. So, I mean, he's another one of those guys that came in with very high expectations that 
for one reason or another, was never even able to get started. So, again, he got healthy this fall. And even though he was kind of eased into it on a bit of a pitch count, uh, he his workload increased more and more by the practice. And every time he was out there, uh, the coaches loved what they saw. And so, I mean, he's a big, sick, like 230-pound muscled up running back that you want to talk about being able to get those tough yards in the trenches in the Big Ten. Those are the types of guys they need. I mean, doing that with Wandale Robinson wasn't going to work. Now you actually have a Big Ten type of running back uh, paired with, uh, that's the thing about this group is you got your big back and step. You got your speed guy in Morrison and you have your kind of do-it-all guy in Irvin to where, I mean, that three hit combo there gives him a lot of versatility uh to work with a bunch of different packages but uh i think having those types of options is going to be real asset particularly when it comes later into the season and they start to get a better feel for where those guys truly are in this pecking order something else i want to see these receivers we heard so much about them but here's what i want to see i want to see them go right to samori tory on the first couple plays of the game get them hot get them going Show me why this guy had 1,500 yards at Montana, could have maybe been drafted. I think getting just him going and, and, and those guys in general going is going to be important early on. I mean, having a vertical passing game where you're throwing the ball further than 15 yards downfield, <laughs> that also uh, will do wonders for making this a more dynamic dynamic offense. And they appear to have uh, the horses in that receiver stable to, to finally do that, where you have big-bodied, fast receivers that can go up and, and high-point the ball and make plays on the perimeter. And they just have not had that since Stanley Morgan left. So we'll see, you know, I guess how much improved this group is. But on paper and based off all the reports we've heard this whole offseason, that might be the most improved position group on the team. And they need to go show it right off the gate. And I'm going to call my shot now on a sleeper, Wyatt Lever. I think he's going to play more and maybe do more in this game than anyone's expecting. Yeah, I mean, people talk about those, those presumed top three, but White Lever's not going away. He's going to be in the mix. <laughs> he forced his way onto the field. I mean, he scored touchdown last year. I mean, he's a guy that everybody continues to just forget about or want to write off, and he won't let him. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that he's definitely going to have a bigger role than people think. And then lastly on the O-line, we know most of what this is going to look like other than left tackle. Turner Corcoran, will he be available? Will he play? And if he does and he struggles because he's rusty, mm -hmm. will there be a quick hook with Grant Banks and him to go back and forth? That's one to watch. Yeah, I would imagine that there will be probably more rotation there than maybe at some of the other spots. And a lot of that just has to do with not only Turner missing as much time as he did this fall with whatever lingering injury, but uh, also just his inexperience. I mean, he's got one game. So having a viable number two there to work in is going to be critical with Banks. All right, when we come back, we'll talk defense as the Huskers get ready to head to Illinois. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, just taking on that role of being a captain is huge. Um, it's a dream come true, I can say. Just watching the guys before me as we voted for them in the years before and just see those reactions and, you know, just to see them carry on that captain name um, alongside their name is something real and I'm, I'm ready for it. Just ready to lead this team to where we need to get to. It means a lot. I'm, I'm just blessed. I just, all I can say is thank God. And I just want to thank my teammates for choosing me to represent us. Uh, and I take big pride in it. And I just can't wait to get this season rolling with them. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as you heard, Nebraska's two defensive captains there, Cam Taylor-Britt and Damian Daniels. 
um, give their thoughts on being voted a captain. And I'll tell you, Robin, and we talked about this on our other show here on the Husker Online podcast channel, the beat with Jojo Doman is one of those tough years where a lot of guys, a lot of good leaders on this defense, Jojo Doman and Ben Stilley, Deontay Williams, Markel Desmuke, and then obviously the two gentlemen named captains and Damian Daniels. I mean, you can even go down further, Ty Robinson. I mean, I just think the structure of this defense and kind of how it's built, there is a lot of leadership right now. Yeah, and that's an element that uh, you can't stress enough how important that is. I mean, I, I think Eric Chandler said it the best where, you know, usually uh, at the start of fall camp, it feels, like, it feels like you're teaching, you know, 400-level classes. Well, because of that experience, they were teaching 700-level master's classes with guys that – I mean, this is their sixth fall camp in many cases. Uh, and when they're setting the tone and holding everybody else accountable, uh, that's a big deal. And then you take it a step further with, um, I mean, this kind of goes across the board, not just the defense, but the the player accountability that they're holding themselves to, to where stuff is getting addressed before it even is brought to Scott Frost's attention, if it gets brought to the coach's attention. And uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, Damian Jackson, the, the well-known, you know, obviously Navy SEAL guy who's as respected as anybody in that locker room, he's kind of become like the, the player accountability like captain <laughs> of sorts to where if there's an issue, uh, you know, I think Austin Allen was talking about this they go to Damien and they'd be like, Hey, Damien, this guy is, uh, you know, doing this or, you know, missed this lifting session or whatever it may be. And then Damien Jackson goes and handles it. And so I think that is something that you want to talk about creating the culture that Scott Frost ultimately wants here. That's where it starts. When you have the players governing each other, just as much as the coaches are doing it. You're listening here to the Husker online show. As we talk defense and just 12 black shirts were handed out. You get the sense that there's a lot of guys close but they want to make sure they earn them. I mean, you go back to a year ago, Luke Reimer didn't get a black shirt right away. Mm-hmm. He didn't get one last year. He got it for the first time this year. And, you know, you, you, you're just seeing more of a conservative approach. They didn't give one to that the other corner, you know, whether it's Quentin Newsom or Braxton Clark or Tyreek Johnson. They want to see who comes out on top and, and, and earns that black shirt. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, they've done it years past where like 17 guys get it and, you know, I think it almost kind of just, you know, kind of diminishes the uh, the tradition a little bit. So I like, I mean, they still gave out 12, but they could have gone by a lot more, but by leaving a couple of those open and they, they coaches have said they are planning on giving them out as the season goes. So that's not a final list. I mean, there's guys that uh, are very close to potentially working their way up to becoming a black shirt. They just need to prove it in a game. I think that's just probably the, the one thing holding some of those guys back. I'll tell you the depth, Robin, could really come into play for Nebraska. I, I feel like on the front seven where you need depth, where you're you're playing a lot of guys that are between two and 300 pounds, you got to have a lot of bodies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what's different about this defense to me going out to Illinois. It's going to be 90-some degrees, hot. Um, you know, and, and I think if they can roll in more guys, that's going to play to their advantage. And I think they've got it on the D line. We know they have it at the linebacker spots. Yeah. And I mean, how much of an issue was that uh, over the last couple of years where, I mean, Nebraska would start games really well defensively. And then there'd be that mid third quarter, fourth quarter collapse where games would completely fall apart and uh, it would cost them victories because of that. So, uh, I think there's two parts to it. I think they have more depth. There's more bodies they can rotate and keep guys fresh. But at the same time, I think this team is in a lot better shape. I mean, guys like Damian Daniels went from playing two to three snaps to seven to eight. So, I mean, that's that's significant when you talk about, you know, 60, 70 snaps a game. Uh, that gives you a little bit more t- 
consistency where you're not having to constantly rotate guys, but you also have the luxury of having viable backups where there's not a significant drop-off from starter to backup. And I think it's a good matchup for Nebraska's defense. Illinois, I don't look at them as a speedy team. Now, Isaiah Williams does intrigue me, the former quarterback, and he's now playing receiver. You know, I think they're going to match him up, and maybe JoJo Dolman's going to get thrown on him a little bit, and, and they're going to try to put him in the slot and move him around almost like a Rondell Moore. So there's some just so many unknowns to what kind of scheme. You know, the offensive coordinator came from Appalachian State, but, you know, Bielema has been more of a traditional slow-it-down, you know, control-the-line-of-scrimmage guy, and they've got three really good running backs. By the way, Epstein is back at Illinois for, like, the 20th year. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. And they got Chase Brown back, who is probably one of the better backs in the running uh, in the Big Ten. That's not getting talked about enough. So you compare that with all that they return up front. I mean, I think they've had the same offensive line for the last like three years now. And so they lost their best guy though. So, but they returned I think four guys with starting experience on that group. So they're a veteran group that has played a lot of football together. And you pair that with the talent they have at running back, and then also they've got some injuries at wide receiver to where I think like Marquise Beeson is one of them. Uh, you know, former High Tower. Yeah, and so they've got some guys that that aren't going to be able to play at wide receiver. So. It's, I think it's pretty clear what Illinois is going to want to do. They're going to pound it. They're going to want to pound it, shorten the game, and just wear Nebraska down. And so how much that defensive front seven is going to be up to the challenge is going to be a big part of that game. Can Nebraska get Illinois in third and six and longer, third mm-hmm. and five? I mean, you don't want Brett Bielema in these third and threes, third and twos. As we know, that's just not sustainable. So can they get there, and then can they get to the quarterback? Because I, I do think – they can have some success getting after Brandon Peters, who's not really a mobile guy at all. Nope. Nope. And so you pair that with, uh, I guess, maybe a, a step down in talent uh, on the receiver position against Nebraska is one of their best strengths is their secondary. Get some turnovers. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the prime position you want. So first and second downs are going to be so critical to where if you can force those third and longs, third and mediums, that could be the difference in ending a drive or being stuck on the field for another series. And I think you're going to see, Robin, as much even man front as odd man front. I, you know, I think people look at Nebraska as a 3-4, but they're going to be, to me, a lot of even. You know, DeAndre Thomas could be coming in on the edge. You, you might see Feldarius Payne come down as more of a DN versus a linebacker. I just love the versatility that Chenander has going into this game. Yeah, and, I mean, you got – the moment on a cross training you can play uh, on that defensive line, and, and then you add in those outside backers. I mean, there's there's a Garrett lot of Nelson, different looks, yeah, that, that you can throw there. So they're going to get creative. And now we talk about the the versatility and depth they have there. That's going to allow Chenander to really dial some things up and throw some looks at Illinois that you know maybe they, they didn't see last year, or because Nebraska just didn't have the personnel to do it. All right, when we come back, we're going to take some questions in the mailbag. Husker Online intern Abby Barmore will join us in studio as lots to talk about, including the new scheduling alliance the Big Ten has formed with the ACC and the Pac-12. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, most important game is Saturday. We um I think that's been stressed on the team. Um, we can't get ahead of ourselves. We gotta go one game at a time. And Illinois, we've been, since the Rutgers game last year, we've been, had our eyes on Illinois. So it is the biggest game because we've been preparing for the last eight months for this game. So like I said, I think the team um, is excited and confident going into this game Saturday. It's a new year, um, new mentality of the team. I can say uh, 
It's the best team I've seen uh, since we've been here, as uh, far as production-wise, togetherness. Yeah, like I said, it's an old game. I don't remember much. <laughs> and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Abby Harmar, as you just heard from Ethan Piper and Cam Taylor-Britt, geared up for this game at Illinois on Saturday. And, Abby, it's time for the mailbag. What do you have this week to start us off? What do you think about the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 Alliance? I like it. I mean, I always felt uncomfortable about the Big Ten being kind of the villain that ultimately maybe broke up another league and kind of what the SEC basically did to the Big 12. Um, they wanted Texas and Oklahoma, and they, they took them, and you know the other 10 teams in the Big 12 are, are in a lot of trouble. And I think a lot of people just expected the Big Ten uh, to do something similar where they would – break apart another league or you know something like that and this to me actually makes more sense and I think it's a nice counterpunch to the SEC you're gonna you know you're gonna see an alliance with these three leagues playing out of conference games every year maybe where everyone plays one Pac-12 one ACC in the Big Ten and you play eight league games instead of nine league games and then you, by the way, block the SEC out of these games. So the SEC is going to lose the monetary value, Robin, of the, now these matchups because they got greedy and they wanted to try to take over the playoff and do this and that. Well, the other three leagues got smart and said, let's do something bigger. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot more sense than you know one or two of those leagues just trying to replicate what the SEC is doing because I just don't know if there's anything that would kind of equal – that chess move by the SEC. So instead, they're going a completely different all direction. Together. Exactly, by kind of joining forces and bringing everybody together to where not only are you kind of maintaining your own individual brands traditions. as conferences and, and traditions, but, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's still... I don't want to put, like, academics as a priority, but I do think that some of the decision makers do prioritize that and the fact that they're not just going into this little semi-pro like super league is important to them so they get to maintain their individualism as universities and academic institutions and as conferences while also being able to you know carry some weight against what the sec has done over the last few months and this also slows down the 12th team playoff mm -hmm. to an extent I, I think we were steamrolling into this where espn was going to control it all and they were going to be almost in a too powerful of a position they were going to essentially own 11 pieces of playoff inventory. Right now, there's three. You do the math. Mm -hmm. That's eight more playoff games that ESPN would have rights to. I think what these other leagues want to do is say, well, hold on now. Let's go NFL with this. Let's get CBS in it. Let's get NBC. Let's get ABC. Let's get Fox. Let's get everybody in it together where maybe every network gets a playoff game. And there's more money bidding against each other instead of having ESPN kind of monopolize college football. Well, yeah, and I think the idea is not to stop the expansion of the college football playoff. I think everybody kind of knows that's where it's Let's headed. Let's get more bidders, though. But they're gonna, they want to slow it down and wait for any decisions on that front to wait, I think, until 2026. Is that when the contract with ESPN yeah. the college football playoff ends? So then you can have a clean slate and renegotiate all these things and make it a more equitable thing across all the major networks to where, yeah, if you have one media organization controlling everything about the highest level of your sport, you're going to have some conflicts of interest, <laughs> interest there, especially uh, when that institution owns one of the conference's networks. What is the biggest thing you're looking for in this football team on Saturday? And if that's too vague, are you looking for limited turnovers, penalties, or big plays? Focus, attention to detail, um, just how Nebraska comes out. Last year, that game against Illinois was, was just so bad. I mean, Nebraska's level of focus and 
just how they prepared. It just wasn't there at all. I want to see a team that comes out and executes right away and has a good game plan. And, you know, sure, you'd want to see a quick score and a three and out. I mean, that would be, you know, if they do that, I think Nebraska's going to win this game. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, that's all it is. Just win the game. I mean, there's there's so much riding on the outcome of this game that style points to me are so insignificant. Yes. I mean, you can read into them as you go forward, but uh, you can score 40 points and lose and it doesn't do you any good. So for me, obviously to do that, you have to play clean football. I mean, cut down on the just dumb mental mistakes where you're starting drives with a false start or returning a kickoff to the 12-yard line or you know doing a backwards screen pass on your opening play like those types of things that are just so uh mind-bottling late hit yeah yeah or like targeting penalties getting your, your best player ejected like those types of things if you clean up any one of those and especially all of them Nebraska is going to be a significantly better team and if they do that they're going to win this game this team has put a huge emphasis on special teams this offseason. What needs to happen for you guys to think that special teams is on the uptick in this first game? I think execution is the key. I mean, let, kick returns and kick coverage, let's start there. I think you're going to see more starters on both units. Honestly, it's going to be a hot day. I don't expect the win. I mean, you never know, I guess, with south winds coming in and out. But I would think it's going to be a day with a lot of touchbacks in Champaign and I would assume Brendan Frankie is going to be the guy doing that. So let, let's see if Frankie or whoever can get the ball through the end zone and, you know, the coverage mm-hmm. and then punt returns. I mean, can they actually get something on a punt return this year? Well, like I think what you just said for me, it's going to be all about the coverage units and, and you know, the, especially, I mean, obviously kickoff and punt. The return game is what it is, especially in today's college football. I mean, that's just been kind of tinkered with so much that return opportunities in general are so difficult, especially when you can fair catch it and get at the 25. Like, I mean, the, the rules have kind of eliminated returns or at least reduced them significantly. So for me, it's stopping those returns and winning the field position battle with your coverage teams. You know, the, the, the kickoffs have to go into the end zone, especially if you have the wind and you have to be able to avoid the big returns. And then with punt, that's a big question right now. And that's probably not getting talked about nearly enough is, you know, for one, who, who's going to be their guy? And two, is it going to be an effective it's jump up? It's going to be churning. So, if, okay. So if he's the case, that's the case, then, I mean, this is a guy that didn't know anything about the game of football a year ago. I mean, how ready is he to be a Big Ten level punter? And is he going to be a consistent enough player to help improve that element? We got time for two more, Abby. What's your final score prediction for Saturday? Oh, hold on now. I don't know if I want to give out my score quite yet. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm picking Nebraska to win. I'll say that. Um, I, I just don't put much into last year's game. I mean, I look at last year's game, and Luke McCaffrey ran it 21 times in the first half. He was on pace to break the school record for carries in a game as a quarterback. On pass plays, by the way, that he just took off and ran. Yeah, they weren't designed runs, or at least a good chunk of them weren't. (laughs) I mean, the floaters that he threw up in the cover two zone, I mean, it was like playing the game 500 as a kid and just throwing it up to see you could catch the ball. Yeah. I mean, it was a disaster of a game, so... I know everyone's like, oh, that game. That game to me last year is meaningless. It's a different quarterback, different running backs, different receivers. Nebraska is going to be way different on offense. But there are similarities on the other side of the ball, where Nebraska brings back six super seniors and on defense, and Illinois brings back almost their entire offensive line, their quarterback, and you know two really good running backs. So 
the line of scrimmage there is for me going to be the kind of the biggest determining factor there because Illinois ran for like 250 some yards against them last year. A lot of that too though was because Nebraska's offense couldn't stay on the field. They just kept giving the ball right back exactly. and it tired down the defense. So when you know what Brett Bielema is going to do, he's going to want to come and run right at Nebraska and try to establish the line of scrimmage. So how well that defense can hold up is going to go a long way while also the offense needing to do its part. So I say Nebraska wins. I'm still debating on whether they cover that seven points. Final question, Abby Barmore. What would be your favorite Alliance road trip game? Oh, man. Well, I really like Miami, obviously. Um, I've got my wife's family, and we go down there a lot. So, I mean, we went there a couple years ago, and Robert and I were saying we'd do anything to have another weekend on South Beach for a Husker game. But outside of ones we've been to. That's like the no-brainer answer. um, I would really like to go to Florida State. Mm -hmm. Just, Just the traditionalists in me. Um, you know, Gene Williams, the publisher of Warchant.com, has been a friend of mine for many, many years. We've always talked about it'd be cool if Nebraska and Florida State could play somehow again. And that, that's just a trip for me that I would love to go make as somebody that's followed college football my entire life. Well, especially because we've already been to the Most majority of the, of the like desirable Pac-12 games. I mean, I guess the Arizonas are, are still out there. And uh, Stanford, but, but that's UCLA, not a UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon, you know, all like the, like the, the cool destination spots. We've been there. We've been there. So for me, it would be one of the ACC games. And I'm with you. Like, so Florida State would be up there. Uh, but I'd probably say Clemson. I mean, just because of you know, what they are as a program right now, to be able to experience that environment, that'd be pretty cool. Can you imagine if Nebraska played at, like, Boston College? Just how many bucket lists. That would be a sweet trip. Like, so many. Like, it would be kind of like Oregon. Yes. You know, just people are like, let's go watch Nebraska football in, the, in Boston. I yes. mean, that would be It'd a be cool. an excuse to go to Boston. And, what, like, I'm sure, like, the Red Sox game would be in town. And, mm. you know, it. I didn't even think about that. I mean, they're just a good be, one. That would be a really just random great trip for so many reasons. That would be like the Skybox booster trip that year. They'd all go to Boston. And anyway, how about you, Abby? Do you have one you want to go to? I think Clemson would be cool just because, you know, the dominance of their program right now. I think, although the game might not be as great, but I think the environment would be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. Scott Beatty from WDWS Radio. He is a pre and post game host for Illinois football as well as their baseball play by play guy. He's going to join me with some great insight on this weekend's game. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the final segment of the Husker Online show. Uh, Sean Callahan here. Usually we talk in recruiting in this segment, but figured um, you know things are slower in recruiting, and I wanted to bring in somebody from Illinois, somebody I know really well um, that could give us some more insight on this Week Zero matchup. Pleased to be joined now on the program by Scott Beatty, sports talk host, pre- and post-game host as well for WDWS. Um, he's also the voice of Illinois Illini Baseball. Uh, Scott, appreciate the time coming on, talking a little Huskers and Illini. Hey, man. Anytime things are slow, I'm happy to be your guy. <laughs> well, yeah. Normally, we're, we're really heavy in recruiting here all the time. And, like, Nebraska's only taking 13 recruits this year, and they have nine already. So, like, the – the storylines for recruiting are pretty lean. And I'm like, you know what? This is a big game for both programs. It's in Illinois. You know, what? what's the feel out there? You're on the ground floor there. As far as this game, the ticket sales, um, the atmosphere, what, what are you expecting for Brett Bielema's season opener on Saturday? Well, Brett Bielema has a bit of the element of surprise on his side in terms of the actual game. And we, 
and we can get into that because he's a known quantity, obviously, in the Big Ten and uh, what he did also at Arkansas. Uh, but ultimately, nobody really knows what Illinois is entirely going to roll out scheme-wise. Uh, so he has the element of surprise on that. But this is kind of – it is a different vibe than when Lovey Smith was announced. I actually feel that Lovey Smith's announcement – several years ago now had more buzz to it it was a splashy hire it was an nfl coach who'd been to the super bowl and obviously had coached the bears so people in illinois knew him but brett bielma's hire feels more like oh this is a guy who can coach we've probably got our guy now so the if that makes sense the buzz is maybe a little bit lower but the long-term outlook feels better so the sense here to me about game one is if you win great if you lose probably that's okay it's i don't want to say he's getting a free pass but i think people sense just on how he's gone about his business and how he's built this program so far that for the long haul things are going to trend up for illinois so I I know there is a lot more, I'm going to venture to say, riding on this for Nebraska than there is for Illinois for this first game. We're talking here with Scott Beatty of WDWS in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Um, Scott, you just look at the roster he inherited, and over you hear the, the massive number of super seniors, I think it's 21 or 20, that, that are coming back to Illinois. What have been just the challenges of maybe – Using that veteran experience, and but at the same time trying to make it work with what Brett Bielema and his guys want to do down there. Well, I think the interesting thing was there's a few guys that he sort of had to woo back. They had decided, hey, I'm out, and then I'm coming back. Jake Hansen is case in point number one. He was putting his toe in the NFL waters, and maybe he'd already been here five years, and now he's back for a sixth year. They had those conversations, and I mean, he's he's your team captain, one of six team captains. So Brett Bielma had to do some salesmanship with a few guys, but I think you spend any a few minutes with him, and he is a he's a guy that wins people over instantly. He's just a disarming figure. Um, he's he's just naturally charismatic, has a kind of a little bit of woo to him. So I don't think it was too hard for him to get a lot of buy-in from, let's see, 22 super seniors they have listed here uh, on the roster. I mean, this is an old team. And I think that although many of these guys came up with Lovey, and look, criticize Lovey how you will for not enough wins and maybe not putting enough in the cupboard recruiting-wise, guys liked him. He was a player's coach. They respected him. But the wins weren't there, and pretty quickly I think these guys went, I'm tired of losing, and Brett Bielman is a guy you can buy into pretty quick. So I think by and large he has won over his team. Um, I don't sense a lot of lip service towards him when talking with players. And he certainly wins press conferences and how he kind of handles himself in the community. When you look at what they want to do, I mean, everyone looks at what Bielman was at Wisconsin – but that was Barry Alvarez's offense and what he was at Arkansas. What does he bring in there? I mean, you hear talk about, you know, Appalachian State and some of the stuff that that staff brought over on his staff with him, some of the hires he's made. 
I mean, what do you envision them trying to be on offense this week? That's a very good question. Nobody really knows for sure. You know, Brett Bielma was pretty much, you know, back at Wisconsin, run it up the middle, you get huge offensive linemen. The thing here is where are Illinois' strengths or what your perceived strengths going into this are going to be your running backs and your tight ends. So is that how Brett Bielma will shape his scheme because of the strengths, or is that just how he wants it to run with he and Tony Peterson? They keep stressing that they are creating Illinois' offense. They're not importing schemes from other places, but they're developing their own scheme here for Illinois. Now, is that something you say to try and throw your opponents off the scent, or is that something they're truly doing? I guess only the game film will tell us. But the biggest questions for Illinois offensively do lie with me with, well, how good can Brandon Peters be as your quarterback, and how good will that receiving core be? They just have not had consistent receiving in in several years, they've had a few flashes of good players. I mean, Josh Matterbaby was a very good receiver last year and last few years, but by and large, it's not been the strength of this offense. So if we see a lot of running and effective running, is that because that's where their strength is? With one exception, they keep talking up Isaiah Williams. And Isaiah Williams went from the quarterback room where he was a dual threat kind of option guy last year, and he's a very good athlete, to the receiving room. He was recruited in a lot of places to not be a quarterback, but he wanted to be a quarterback. Came here, he was okay, but he's a very good athlete, and they have used the words special player. Some have kind of comped him to Rondale Moore. I mean, let's not let's not crown him that, but that type of athlete where – Figure out how to get the ball in his hands, whether you know, you're running jet sweeps, whether you're just throwing it to him. So he could be a guy out of the receiving core that ends up just being a playmaker. What do you, as, uh, as far as crowd, I mean, will it be pretty full? I mean, what's your read on the attendance? Um, and, and, you know, as far as COVID goes, what are the protocols? We've got a lot of listeners that will be traveling out to Champaign. Um, for the game, I don't know the number. I mean, we could see five, ten thousand Nebraska fans out there, is my guess, uh, just based on what we've seen in past years. Is there anything Husker fans traveling out there should know about going out to uh, the Champaign area when it comes to protocols and, and things? In the area, uh, I would say this town is pretty conscious of um, taking precautions, and this the university has actually been a leader in developing some tests and. Um, you know, it's just a good scientific center. So there's pretty high respect for protocols. Uh, that said, they have not absolutely mandated masks. So you'll see a kind of a mix just around town if you go into restaurants or or what have you. So it probably is just going to be a, hey, what do you feel comfortable with as you as an individual? And then for the game outdoors, you do not have to wear a mask. If you if somebody happened to purchased a suite or something like that, then, uh, yeah, you got to be masked up indoors. But uh, outdoors, you're in good shape. Um, and this the community is pretty well vaccinated and all that, so um, I think there's as much risk here as there is anywhere else, but I wouldn't consider us a abnormal hot spot out here. Uh, for attendance, last I heard, this was maybe a week ago, 30,000. It's a little light. Um, but let's be realistic. Illinois hasn't won a ton, and this um, this is a 
fan base right now when it comes to football, it, it is a, hey, show me, and then I'll start showing up because they've kind of been burned that way uh, a little bit. So, you know, I think I think if you're bringing a sizable contingent, they'll the, the Big Red will be making some noise over there in the southeast corner of the stadium. Are the students back there too? Yeah, yeah. And uh, one thing was they just had 8,000, largest freshman class uh, in the history of the school is here. And they had a big freshman event at the stadium actually last week. And Brett Bielma spoke to them. They brought some of the players out to kind of pump things up. So I'm sure there will be some draw there. And remember, this is there are now several students on campus, a good fraction that have not been to a football game because of COVID and what have you in, in two years. So I do think that'll drive some student ticket sales, and I think they'll be making some noise. Well, Scott, this was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, getting a chance to catch up with you and your guys um, in Champaign here this weekend. Well, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I have not seen a Big Ten baseball schedule yet, but I'm hoping we get a trip out to Haymarket because I used to go through Lincoln with the Sioux Falls Canaries, uh, in the American Association, and we'd come down and play the Salt Dogs. And I really liked, first of all, we stayed right in downtown. And if it was on a weekend, there was a really nice farmer's market there in Haymarket, uh, right there in downtown. And I thought Lincoln was just a nice town. And I even slipped into Memorial Stadium, as you probably well know. There's an entrance there where anybody can kind of walk in and uh, kind of sits there. I don't know if they still do it, but it sits over the end zone. You can kind of just take in. That is a magnificent facility. Um, so I, I really like Lincoln. I hope I get to come out there soon enough. Well, we hope we see you here soon, Scott, and uh, I'm looking forward to Saturday. And uh, make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com. We'll have plenty of coverage. Uh, both Robin Washett and I will be on site. And then we'll have full high school football coverage as well with uh, Greg Peterson and Blake Arney. So make sure you are on HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 